Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Homeschooling. <laughs> for those of you who homeschool um, full-time on a regular basis, uh, for whom this experience is not as challenging as it is for the rest of us, uh, my guess is that this story is going to sound somewhat familiar to you. For those of you who escaped um, because your children are now of an age that uh, they don't require you to sit with them and go over rules like worksheet rules, um, go ahead and get ready to have some heartfelt empathy for me because I frankly um, am, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like an educator in the throw the information out there and see what sticks. I'm not really like, I'm not a precision educator. All right. So yesterday we have some precision that we have to cover. Matthew is at the stage where he is trying to learn prefixes and suffixes. Prefixes, frankly, seem easier because you just attach them to the front of the word, right? It's like a, it's like you're making a train and you got to stick something up there in the front of the word, all right? So, but 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 suffixes, um, they're a little bit different. I don't know if you know this. There's actually seven rules related to suffixes. I didn't remember that there were seven rules. I suppose that most of us just now naturally add a suffix to a word, and we don't think about what happens to the original word. Like, what do you have to cut off in order to attach the suffix? Well, so yesterday, trying to communicate not only what these suffixes are, but these seven rules related to suffixes. And so um, I know you're you're thinking to yourself, um, are you thinking to yourself, poor Carmen? Because that's what I'm trying to create here. Yeah, a little empathy. So here's rule one. Rule one, I think the super easiest rule of all, when a word ends with a consonant and the suffix, suffix begins with a consonant, all you have to do is add the suffix and there's no spelling changes. So that seems easy, right? Entertain becomes entertainment. Advertise becomes advertisement. Regret becomes regretful. But that's sort of where the stumbling block enters the conversation. Because instead of moving on to the more complex rules, of which, did I mention, there are seven, Matthew says, I have a question. I'm like, you have a question about rule one? Rule one doesn't even, you don't, you don't even do anything. You just stick it on there. You take the suffix. You just attach it consonant to consonant. No big deal. Here's his question. So the suffix full. Why doesn't the suffix full have two L's? Why would we have a suffix that means full that's not actually full? Yes, that would be me, stumped. Stumped. It led us to this conversation. What are you full of anyway? Jesus came full of grace and truth. You're going to like this. And so it led us to a conversation about whether or not we are graceful. Not graceful that's lacking an L, but actually people who are full of grace. Are we truthful? Not truth that's lacking an L, but full of truth. So you can see how fun this would be, right? Let's go through um, a conversation about whether or not um, our prayers are wonderful, thankful, faithful. Not missing an L, but full, full. Is our service to others prayerful, careful? Is our Bible study thought full, fruit, full? Um, 
Are my conversations with others mindful, meaningful, purposeful? Is my witness to Christ powerful and beautiful? All right, so you get it. Everybody's full of something. Uh, Let's be people who are full of grace and truth today, lacking nothing. But actually, you know, let's not have it just be a suffix that we're full of something. Let's actually have it be the reality of who we are. Full, full. All right, next up, Bill English. He's full of something. That's happening next. Good morning, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well. Would you have an answer to the question of why the suffix full is not full? It's missing an L? You know, I've, I've never even thought about that. I know. Maybe I know. maybe because the standalone word has an extra L because it's completely full, whereas the suffix is appending <gasps> to something. I don't know. I'm using that. I have no idea if that's accurate, but I'm totally using that today. Thank you. Because Matthew is the kind of Matthew is the kind of young man who needs an answer. So, um, okay. So I don't know if you got my email a few hours ago this morning. Um, If not, then we might not be able to talk about whatever agreement the White House and Congress supposedly reached overnight. Do you know anything about it? And if 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 not, we'll just move on. No, actually, I read the bill over the weekend. Oh my goodness. Um, it's okay, what can you tell us? Well, I can tell you that that um, it went from a $1.2 trillion package to $2.5 trillion. And I can tell you that most of the reporting on it has been pretty accurate. So what you're seeing in the news media is a reflection of what's in the bill. Uh, the uh, amount of money being given away to the businesses only had two underwriting standards. They had to be in operation on March 1st, and they had to have employees. Otherwise, uh, they get the money, and there wasn't any oversight, no inspector general, no committee from the Congress was instantiated in that bill. So I think the Democrats had reason to have pause on that part, and I think they got that fixed over the weekend. And then uh, they had also excluded money to nonprofits who were eligible to receive Medicaid money. And uh, I think that also got fixed. Uh, the reasoning behind that was unclear to me as to why the Republicans would have put that in the bill. Uh, but this thing is a massive stimulus package. You know, adults get twelve hundred bucks, kids get five hundred dollars. So if you're a family of four, uh, you know, twenty four, thirty four hundred dollars is what you should be getting uh, directly from the government. That will be taxable. You'll have to list that on your taxes. Uh, so at some point you'll have to pay taxes on that, but, um, and there's about eight or 10 other areas that, that they cover, uh, money for hospitals, money for healthcare organizations, money for, uh, state and local governments to provide liquidity for them. And really the whole economy in one way or another is going to get touched by this bill. Uh, this is the one time where me as a conservative and I like the government stay out of stuff. This whole problem is, is a government response to a virus that none of us uh, have a fault for causing. And so I think this is a proper role of government to stimulate the economy this way. We will go, Carmen, from $23.5 trillion in national debt in one day to uh, about $26 trillion. 
It's two and a half trillion dollars. Treasury doesn't have the money. They're going to have to go borrow it. So there you go. And they do that through they do that through issuing bonds. Is that right? They do. And other other Treasury notes, the Federal Reserve, in conjunction with the Treasury, will will literally create the money. Okay, so um, one other topic, because you brought up taxes. There's a new tax filing deadline of July 15th. What what, if anything, do we need to know about that other than I just don't have to file by April 15th? I have to file by July 15th. And you don't have to pay till July 15th either. So basically, nice. just take take April 15th and plop in July 15th. Everything else is business as usual, as I understand it. Okay, fantastic. All right. Now, let's talk about the things we had planned to talk about today. Um, sure. This, this working from home thing, like some of us uh, do this regularly, and I will tell you that now that everybody is home, my own work from home schedule is different. It's more challenging now that everybody is home. Um, let's talk a little bit about working from home. Let's talk about accountability. Let's talk about dealing with distractions, whatever direction you want to take this. Yeah, you know, first of all, business owners and, and leaders should have a telecommuting policy. We have one at the company that I lead right now, and uh, it should only be used in our estim- in my estimation for temporary uses of working from home unless the position in and of itself is a uh, traveling position or permanently remote position. Uh, accountability is a big deal. So what we wrote into our uh, policy was that at the end of every day, the employee has to summarize what they accomplished that day, and then they have to summarize what they plan to accomplish the next day, and they have to email that to their supervisor. Whereas if they're working in the office, you wouldn't have to do that. So we actually put a little bit more um, pain, so to speak, on the person working remote than, than the one who works in the office. Accountability is a big deal. Studies show that people get more done working at home than they do at the office most of the time. But during this time, when kids are home from school, it's causing a lot of employers to be concerned. Are you really at home doing laundry and taking care of the kids uh, as opposed to working? And I think those are valid concerns on the part of the um, uh, employer. So how do you deal with those distractions, right? Uh, You should have a quarantined area. You should have a place where uh, people cannot hear you. You need to be able to close the door. And especially if you're working with confidential information, in the case of the company I run, HIPAA-based information, uh, you've got to be able to quarantine and have uh, confidentiality uh, while you're working from home. And if you have kids that are going to come in and constantly need your attention, then you might actually have to hire daycare in your home while you're working at home. Somebody else to watch kids while you're working. Yeah, which the whole social distancing thing then gets incredibly complex because I don't know who that person has been with when they're not at my house watching watching my child. It's uh, it's it's complex. People are finding ways to deal with it, but it's definitely challenging. All right, um, Bill, we well, got to take a brief we got to take a brief break. Sure. When we come back. I'm, I'm going to let you say whatever it was you wanted to say. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right. All right. Picking up the conversation again with Bill English from Bible and Business.com. Sir, you were about to say... 
I was about to say, as long as people are following the CDC guidance on how to not spread the virus, that they should be pretty safe to work with your uh, children in the home. Not, not, not your children personally, Carmen, but uh, the children of the listeners in the home. Uh, the, that guidance is pretty good, and uh, it's what I have my nurses follow when they go into the homes to work with patients. And so it seems to be working pretty well. All right. Hey, thanks for that. All right. So let's um, let's do this big topic, which I'm sure we are going to have to circle back around to um, more than once. Um, if I've been laid off or if my business is currently closed and not likely to reopen, what's the process for preparing now to reenter the job market when there is one? Uh, actually, this is a really good market to be to have this situation happen. First of all, make sure that you're filing for unemployment. In the stimulus package they passed last night, they added another $600 a week on top of the state's monies, whatever state you happen to live in. The federal government's going to add another 600 bucks on top of that. So make sure that you're hiring or that you're filing for unemployment. Uh, secondly, if the business is, I'm not, I'm going to answer your question here in just a moment, Carmen. But if the business, if your employer, if your employer um, is going to access some of the money in this in the stimulus package, they're going to turn around and pay you a salary because that's the purpose of the money is to keep a salary flowing to you. So uh, be prepared that you may not even need to file or go after unemployment money, and that your employer may get enough. I mean, this is $10 million loans we're talking about. Uh, your employer may have enough to reopen at the right time. Now, assuming that they don't, what do you do? Uh, you update your resume and your network, <clears throat> and you go out into a market where there's 1.4 million more open jobs than there are job seekers. And so the chances of you being able to find good work at good pay in the field that you want is pretty good. Uh, this is really a, a job seekers market right now, even with the coronavirus. And so I would just encourage you to do what you normally do, update your resume and start networking. Now, social distancing, hard to network when there's no restaurants or coffee shops open. I get that. But as soon as this ban on social ability lifts, uh, you can start networking and you should be able to find a job pretty quick. And there's tons of online platforms as well. Um, LinkedIn Jobs um, would just be one that I happen to be familiar with, but there's just a lot of them, Indeed.com, I mean, on and on and on. So um, don't be afraid of technology. And if you find yourself um, looking for a job for the first time in sort of the gig economy, like maybe you, maybe the last time that you thought about looking for a job, it really was all face-to-face. -face. There's a lot of it that's now done online. And so don't be afraid um, to engage in the technology that's available if you find yourself looking for a job. Um, let's let's ask a bigger question, Bill, about looking sure. for a job. Um, how do I assess at a different maybe age and stage of life, what do I really want to do next? Um, maybe this is a good time for people to be evaluating. Am I really doing a job that I am interested in, passionate about at this age and stage? Maybe this is a good time to reevaluate what we're doing. You know, I read a study one time of people who were laid off who were over 50. And what what happens to them? Did you know that a third of them just start their own businesses? And oh, they totally. end up running. That does not surprise me. That does not surprise me yeah. because you're like tired of working for someone else. 
and you have the experience and oftentimes the connections to both uh, run the business and fund the startup, mm. right? And so uh, a third of them start their own businesses and they end up with a family business that they many times pass on to their kids. Uh, so you're not stuck if you're older and you, um, and you want to uh, find work. Now, the other two-thirds, they're out looking for work, and a lot of them find work. Some of them find it at less pay than what they'd like, and many of many experience age discrimination. It really does exist in this country, and uh, especially if you're an older female or an older female who's a minority, it's going to be really tough because of the discrimination that really does exist in this country. Having said that, uh, you just got to get out there, do your online tools, and and look to find work. Some people look to work in a cause rather than a job. So they'll go to a nonprofit and they'll work for a cause rather than a job, so to speak. I work for a cause. I love it. You do. I love what I do. You I'm do. Like, I, can't, I know. can't wait to get here every day. I mean, here, you know, here in Radioland and do what I do every day. Like, I, I love it. I, I just, so I want people to be as excited and passionate about what they're getting up and doing every day as I am about what I'm getting up and doing every day, even though some people you know can't, funny, can't imagine doing what I do, right? You know, well, I, I'm not sure I could do what you do, but you're my sixth host since I've been at Faith Radio. Yeah, you're stuck you're with my, me now, buddy. You're stuck. I know. I'm, <laughs> yeah. You're by far the most passionate. Uh, of any of the hosts that I've worked with, and it just your passion just bleeds through. It's really fun to work with you. Well, it's so. it's because I have such excellent people to talk with, right? Who come prepared for just like conversations about just anything, which is what life is like, right? Yeah. This is what yeah. life is like. It is. All right, it um, is. all right. So one, um, one, one coronavirus related uh, story or encounter you have had that would uh, you know just be fun for us to know about. I don't know if it's fun, but uh, got an email or a message through Facebook from a very old friend, uh, not old in terms of age, but I've known this gal a long time, and her daughter, whose name is Lexi, uh, an adult now, is in the hospital in intensive mm. care here in Minneapolis with coronavirus, and they're not sure she's going to make it. And so, uh, you know what, maybe we could spend 20 seconds praying for Lexi. In, Let's do that right uh, now. What's Lexi's mom's name? First name? Uh, gosh, now you put me on oh, the spot. No, it's okay. We're just going to pray for Lexi and her family. Let's just, just do that right Lexi now, though. Yeah, Father, we um, we come before you. Lexi is made in your image, knit together in her mother's womb by your hand. She's fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the great physician, and you are able to do far more for her right now than um, we ordinarily dare to ask or imagine. But we would ask, Father by faith in the name of Jesus, that if it be your will, you would restore her to health here and now. Um, and Father, we do acknowledge your grace in all circumstances. We acknowledge you're working out your purposes in ways that are often a mystery to us. But we bear up Lexi. We bear up those who are serving her in the hospital. We bear up her precious family. And we simply ask, Lord God, that um, you would somehow use all of this, not only in this one life and in the life of this one family, but around the globe, Father, we recognize there are so many families like Lexi's right now praying to you for the recovery of their loved ones. And so in one accord, Father, we ask for miraculous grace in this moment, in Lexi's life and in the life of the world. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And her mother's name is Lori. All right. We'll pray for Lori as well. Hey, Bill, thank you so much. You bet. We'll talk to you next week. That's Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. So a lot of us are having some unprecedented family time. I want you to think about um, who constitutes your household. And is is that just the people who live in your house? Or does your household actually extend to people who are kind of in and out of your house on a regular rhythm or regular basis? If you have a home-based business and other people are a part of that um, from outside your family, they're actually now a part of your household. Um, or how about extended family or generations like grandparents who are in your house frequently enough that they have a spiritual influence over your kids. We're going to talk about what constitutes the spiritually vibrant home, the power of messy prayers, loud tables, and open doors up next with Don Everts. Everything is changing. Flat schedules are changing. The economy is changing. The school schedule is changing. Changes everywhere. But what hasn't changed? God's love for us. The four most welcome words in the Bible are, God is for us. God is for us. The unchanging creator is for us. He's not plotting to take us down. He wants to build us up. He hasn't turned away from us. He has turned toward us. He is inviting us to run to him for peace and strength. Among all the changes in this season, find comfort in this steadfast promise. Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Turn to Him today. Don Everts. We have talked with Don before at the intersection of what I would describe as like research and being real Christians, particularly at home. He has a brand new research-based book um, that isn't very researchy, so don't be afraid. It is called (laughs) The Spiritually Vibrant Home, The Power of Messy Prayers, Loud Tables, and Open Doors. Don, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Well, great to be with you, Carmen. All right, so you, um, so I actually did a whole um, uh, Twitter chat over the course of I don't know, it was probably it was it was probably months long um, on your last book because I thought it was so good. Oh wow! And so I'm thrilled to be having this conversation with you here today. Um, people need the kind of not only information but experiential knowledge that you bring to bear, as well as just the really fantastic practical ideas that you offer, um, not only here, but online. So let's um, let's start by telling people where they can find you um, and the ministry online for more resources. Yes. Yeah, so uh, all of the products and, and different writing and different ideas that we've developed based on this research on households of faith, uh, there's one website that we put it all on. So it's Lutheran Hour Ministries website, lhm.org slash Households. It's that simple. Yeah. So lhm.org is something that I want everybody listening right now to make mental note of or write down. 
Um, you're not driving because you're not allowed to be driving. So everybody's sitting somewhere right now. So <laughs> lhm.org, Lutheran Hour Ministries. And the reason that I'm lifting that up is because that's where I go when I want to grab something that Don has talked about and I want to share it with others because it's all right there. Um, and so in addition to the book we're discussing today, there's a lot of other stuff that is there at the um, Lutheran Hour Ministries website, lhm.org, that I don't want you to miss. Um, okay, let's talk about what makes a household spiritually vibrant. And then um, mm-hmm. and then I want to ask a follow-up question, and that is, why are we using the term household instead of a term like family? Good. Yeah. So uh, the first part of your question, what makes for a spiritually vibrant household? Uh, what we have found among uh, practicing Christians where faith really is being passed on uh, in really vibrant ways, there are three practices or traits that those households tend to have. Uh, number one, that they apply spiritual disciplines together. So they're doing something with the Bible and prayer together. Number two, they have spiritual conversations with each other. And number three, they're a hospitable. They have pe- people in and out of their home. So those three characteristics tend to correlate uh, with a more vibrant uh, faith of those within the household. And so um, we are using the term household there, and you're doing so yeah. intentionally. I actually found yeah. the household map thing in here, that yes. exercise, really illuminating. So talk about what is a household, the way we're, we're defining it here, and then tell people yeah. what a household map is. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're using the term household instead of family, because when you, when you talk about families, we tend to think of one thing, a, a nuclear family, right? So parents and their kids. And, okay, and, can, and I, uh, can I have you pause right there? Because I was yeah. preparing for this yesterday, and you know we're yeah. now we now have a homeschool environment, and I used the term yeah. <laughs> nuclear family, and the eyes of um, I have a special needs son, and his eyes got huge, and he was concerned that you live in a nuclear family <laughs> because for him nuclear sounds like crazy dangerous. So sorry, totally. There you exactly. Go. And 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 we tend to think of when you say family, that's what it triggers, right? Is this kind of the core people, parents and kids. Uh, but in the research, we wanted to look at something broader. We wanted to look at the, the people who are in your home. So that includes the people who live there. Uh, but it also includes the people who are in and out of your home quite a bit. Uh, and so uh, so we talk in terms of a, the household map in order to think about all of that and to stretch our paradigms to think of not only the people I live with, but the people I'm interacting with in my home or in their home. Uh, And so then you have your core household. Think of that as kind of the inner concentric circle. And then you have your extended household, uh, which would be think of it as a little bit larger one, because the research showed us that our faith and our health and all those things isn't just impacted by the people we live with, but by the people who are in our homes and in and out of our homes. And that that's everyone from relatives to friends to friends who are like family to um, even, you know, tutors who come in or babysitters or, or, or other folks like that. And so we're looking more broadly at who is trafficking in the home because they actually impact the faith of everyone in the home. And, and actually, Carmen, th- this actually really resonates with the Bible's view on households, because households are brought up a lot in the Bible. Over 2,100 times, 
The term household is explicitly used in the Bible. And ordinarily, what a household looks like in the scripture uh, is a really large extended household uh, of people. You know, uh, Jacob, we, we get his roll call of his household uh, in Genesis 46. It's 70 people. You know, the, the average household in the Bible was 50 to 100 people. Uh, and, and so it was it was this extended household. It was kind of your core, plus these other people that are in and out of your home. And and when you make that paradigm shift, it's pretty it's pretty incredible because you know, I did a class, Carmen, uh, at my church to kind of wrestle through the initial research findings. And I had grandparents in there. I had single people in there. I had, you know, couples in there, people who just have roommates, in addition to families. And uh, what was really freeing to everyone was realizing everyone's in a household. Even if I live alone, uh, who's in and out of my house and whose other households am I in an extended member of, and I have an impact on their lives. So it really busts open a lot of insights uh, and richness uh, that if you are just looking at quote unquote families, you're going to miss out on. So in terms of the spiritual conversations that we have in our house, the household uh, map process was kind of fun to do, right? And, um, and we were also, we just happened to be reading the Gospel of John, and so um, the household of Mary and Martha and Lazarus came up, like, right, these are three adult siblings who yeah. apparently live together in the same household. Jesus yeah. is clearly a part of their household. It's the home to which he returns every night of Holy Week. Um, there's a lot, I mean, there's several stories that take place in their household. He's clearly, Jesus is clearly a part of what they see yeah. as their household. And so that yeah. uh, that raised the question in our family, where is Jesus on our household map? Ooh, Carmen. I know. That's good. I thought you would like that. I thought you would like that. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. No, it's totally yours. It's totally yours. Everything's free. Yeah, everything's free. All right. You and I have to take a very brief break. I'm talking with Don Everts. We're talking about his new book, The Virtually, The Virtually, The Spiritually Vibrant Home, The Spiritually Vibrant Home, The Power of Messy Prayers, Loud Tables, and Open Doors. Um, And yes, I have copies of the book to give away. Some of you are already salivating. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Don Everts, we are talking about his new book, The Spiritually Vibrant Home, The Power of Messy Prayers, Loud Tables, and Open Doors. Don, um, starting on—I mean, we could just move through the book, but starting on page 85, Mm -hmm. you actually start talking about um, what we can learn about relating to God from these spiritually vibrant homes. And then there are these exercises in sort of like— how do I bring that into my own experience in my own household? So um, can we just walk through mm-hmm. these? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, so some of the findings that we, that we arrived at, uh, one is that households that relate to God together tend to do a lot together. And so th- this was surprising to me because I think I grew up with this idea that if you're doing devotions or if you're praying as a household, you're kind of a little boring or stuck in the mud or whatever. And and actually, that's not true. So households that are uh, hanging out with God together do lots of things together. They're they're playing together, doing chores together. They talk with each other. They sing. They they laugh, all sorts of things. Um, 
Another finding is that uh, having an extended household tends to help. And so having people come into your home uh, tends to increase the amount of time that you spend uh, praying or being in the Bible. So there, there's this connection uh, there. We found that relating to God together uh, prepares a household for tough times. This is uh, uh, particularly apropos right now. So there's indications in the research and the findings that if you are spending some time in the Bible or prayer with, with those in your household— you're more supportive to each other in difficult times. Again, we don't know the causation, you know, we can't we can't say exactly why that's the case, but we know that the correlation uh, exists. Uh, interestingly, Carmen, the presence of children in a household tends to increase the amount of time spent in prayer or in the Bible. So that that's a fascinating uh, finding. <laughs> that's because as adults, we feel the need more acutely for prayer. We feel insufficient to the task um, <laughs> yeah, right. when there are children yeah, in the home. We're, we're all experiencing that more and more. There's a lot more, you know what, let's just pray, right? That's that's happening let's more and more in American households, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's right. And, and that was one of our findings, too, that leadership matters. So in a spiritually vibrant home, there tends to be some quote-unquote spiritual coaching. And that sounds like a big deal, like, oh my gosh, like you have to be a pastor in your own home. But actually what we found in the research was spiritual coaching is just someone taking the initiative. And so it's someone who you don't even have to do it. You, you, so if, if like a dad, for a dad to say, hey, I feel like before we leave uh, for our trip, someone should pray. Like they don't, you don't even have to pray. But just to suggest it, just to say, hey, someone should do this, that taking the initiative uh, is spiritual coaching, and and it makes a huge difference, and and, and that's why I call this uh, messy prayers for for this whole of these findings about being in the Bible and being in prayer with each other. That it doesn't have to be expertly done. It doesn't have to be pulled off in a great way. It just has to be initiated. Like just the presence of it is what correlates uh, to to faith sticking and to faith being more vibrant in the home. I find that really freeing. The people I've kind of gone over the findings with, find that freeing. Like, I don't have to be a great prayer. I don't have to be a biblical scholar. I just have to initiate stuff in the home. And, um, and, and, no, matter, and no matter how we do that. And, and that's been really freeing for people. Let's talk about spiritual conversations. Um, your, your book prior to this one, The Reluctant Witness, Discovering the Delight of Spiritual Conversations, um, I, I just felt like was incredibly not only illuminating, but equipping that actually moves people into spiritual conversations, how to have them, how they develop, um, how to sort of overcome our fear of entering into them. So I uh, want to certainly commend to people the reluctant witness discovering the delight of spiritual conversations. This study sort of proves out the importance of that in the context of the household. It it really does. And one one of the fascinating findings uh, well, it, it underscored the findings from the first uh, study, which namely that spiritual conversations are really important. They're like vital, uh, that, that they are, again, and, and it isn't, Carmen, it isn't giving perfect spiritual advice. It isn't, uh, you, you know, um, uh, giving a sermon to those who come into your home. It's just talking. Just that the presence of having conversations about your faith whether it's your questions about faith or the things you're learning about faith, uh, those conversations are super powerful. And, and one of the interesting findings, which I loved because I love food, 
uh, is that the most common place that spiritual conversations happen in Christian households is around the table. Uh, and, and and there's interesting you know findings about that. There's something about being in a circle around a table around food, and and this holds uh, whether people are going out to eat or whether they're eating in the home. Uh, that tends to be where, if everyone in a household is together, let's put it this way, it's usually around a table. The odds are it's around a table if everyone's involved. And there's something about you know break, breaking bread together, the unhurried pace of that, looking at each other rather than screens. There, there's so many things about food. Uh, it, there's a there's kind of a built-in time, right? We're going to eat for a certain amount of time, so you're not afraid it's going to last forever. That people tend to more easily enter into conversations, and so uh, again, that's a really powerful. Um, it's pedestrian. It's domestic. You know, uh, when you're eating, you know. So one of the things we created uh, when when we to just to tap into that and to help Christian households tap into that is we developed a set of playing cards. We call it the vibrant conversation deck. And they're real cards like you could play war or, you know, whatever you could play games with them. But each card has a unique conversation starter. Um, and, and we created those for families and, and, and using that kind of thing as a household, you know, well, OK, let's get out the conversation deck and let's flip over a card. Now everyone respond to that question. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't have to be fancy, uh, but little sparks like that that get a family talking about their faith, uh, about a Bible verse, what, whatever it happens to be, um, faith grows when those conversations are happening. All right. How do we find those? Because that sounds fun. Yeah, same page. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same same page, lhm.org slash households. So all all of these products that we've developed uh, are on that page. Uh, and we, you know, at, but before we go, I have to tell you about a refrigerator magnet that we created. Just lots of really <laughs> practical. All right. We're going to send people to the website, lhm.org backslash households. Um, I do have copies of the Spiritually Vibrant Home, The Power of Messy Prayers, Loud Tables, and Open Doors to give away. If you would like to enter the drawing for one of the copies uh, of the book that I have here in the studio, you can text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Connect with Don Everts on Twitter at Don Everts. Grab more resources at lhm.org backslash households. Hey, Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Great to be with you, Carmen. It's great to have you. That's really fun. All right, we'll be right back. All right, thank you for all of your good ideas um, on the text line. Thank you for those of you who have sent me all kinds of online resources related to homeschooling. I love the way that our listening uh, community is joining together in fellowship and encouragement in these days. Log on to MyFaithRadio.com. Sign up uh, with us to read through the Gospel of John between now and Easter. Um, If you sign up, then we're going to send you not only um, a weekly email with some resources, but there's also some giveaways that we're doing, including a copy of Michael Card's um, book on the Gospel of John, which I talked about yesterday on the show. So you can grab the podcast from yesterday's program. If you missed that, you go to MyFaithRadio.com. You either go to the Mornings with Carmen page and scroll down, or you go to the podcast page and scroll down to Mornings with Carmen. Either way, easy access. Grab the podcast, share it with somebody else, invite them to read the Gospel of John with us over the course of these coming weeks. Uh, Again, you can sign up for all of that and get lots of other great resources 
at MyFaithRadio.com. I hope you have a great day. Actually, make it a great day. And God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.